Okay, a few years ago, my wife and I were in New York City with some friends. The Hicks went where the Slicks are. We were up in New York City. And uh, we're walking around the street. We're, uh, we're out on the streets. And if you've been in New York, you know, New York is a, a very interesting place. And we're in a place where there's vendors selling on the street. And so my wife, my wife is always in shopping mode. How many of you men know a female that's always in shopping mode? Well, you do. You're just cowards. It's part of their nature, guys. It's part of who they are. Eve, when she ran into the devil that day in the garden, she was shopping. That's what happened uh, when, when, you know, about the apple. But Cindy runs into this lady who's selling coach purses. Now, men, I'm glad to say I know zero, none, not about purses. Now, in, if you're a man, unless you work in a department store that sells them, that's a good thing. Amen. Amen, it is. Uh, but I know this, I know a coach purse costs a lot more money than uh, my lifestyle allows for. It's three or $400 as a coach purse. And Cindy's talking to this lady that can get her a coach purse for like $25. And I'm going, something is not right with this. And then so Cindy and this lady begin walking toward her van. And the lady is looking at me going, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going too. Cindy gets in this van with this lady in New York City. And I start calling her. She's not answering. I think they're cutting her up in little pieces. <laughs> they got her driver's license. They can UPS her back to Ruston. So a few minutes later, she stumbles out of the van with a, she's a coach purse. She's got the certification to prove it's coach purse. $50. I said, honey, it's hot or somebody lied to you. And three months later, as the purse was falling apart from the seams, guess what? The husband was right. Isn't that good? Occasionally when that happens, we're right. A lot of times things look real and they look good, but they're not really the real deal, right? And in Mark chapter 8 this morning, we're going to look at real followers of Christ. Now, here's, here's who he's talking to today. He's talking to people who aren't Christians, inviting them into Christianity. And now listen, he's inviting Christians, are telling Christians what real discipleship means. Everyone in this room falls under one of two categories. Either you're lost or you're saved, right? You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. So this message applies to you completely and perfectly no matter what your stage is in life. A real follower of Christ, and, and he breaks it down into two distinct categories or two important categories. Here's the first thing. If you're going to be a real follower of Christ, you have to see life, you have to see everything from God's perspective. You have to have a God mindset if you are going to properly follow Jesus Christ. Look in verse 31 through 33 with me. In your Bibles or on the screens. It says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, let me give you a little context here. If you've been with us uh, in this study through the book of Mark, this is the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus grew up right here in Nazareth, but Capernaum was kind of his adopted hometown as an adult. 
And they did a lot of ministry right around here. But they are in Caesarea Philippi up here. Now, they've been up, they were up there a few weeks ago. Now, it's, one of the things significant about that is Caesarea Philippi is a largely non-Jewish area. Jesus did most of his ministry around fellow Jewish people. But a lot of the people that were going to be listening to this this morning or this day were non-Jewish people. Now, he had his followers with him. He had his, his 12. But again, there have been a lot of people like you and me who weren't Jewish people. And Jesus tells them, it says plainly, he goes, guys and girls, because there had been females in the crowd, I'm going to go, we're going to go to Jerusalem in the near future. When we get there, the Sanhedrin, the teachers, the chief priests, the leaders, the Sanhedrin was the, the 70 leading rulers of Judaism. It was kind of the supreme court of the Jewish people. He said, look, they're going to, they're going to have me arrested, they're going to try me, and they're going to turn me over to the Romans, and they're going to have me crucified, they're going to have me killed. And then after three days, I'm going to come back to life. And Peter did not like what he heard. And it's interesting, it says Peter rebuked Jesus. And that literally means that with conviction and compassion, he got in Jesus' grill. Now, you may think Peter's crazy, but don't you admire his, his, uh, his, his courage? <laughs> he thinks Jesus is wrong, so he pulls Jesus aside, and with conviction, he's pointing at Jesus and saying, we don't need to do this cross thing. You don't need to be crucified. You don't need to be killed. And this must have been some of the mindset of the other disciples too because it says Jesus looked at the other disciples and then he turns the table and he gets in Peter's grill. It says he rebukes. And, and again, that word means with passion or conviction that you are correcting somebody. And he says, Peter, the cross is God's way. And by you saying it's wrong and that's not the way that we need to go, Peter, you're thinking like Satan, not like God. You remember in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, one of the things the devil tried to get him to do was say, hey, look, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You don't need to follow God and do this cross thing. Just follow me. Take an easier route and a different route. (laughs) And that's exactly what Peter was doing, unwittingly doing what the devil said. He says in verse 33, you do not have in mind the things of God. That biblical word mind there literally means to to think or to will. It means your opinions or your affections. Here's what he said to Peter. Peter, you're not thinking. Your mindset is not like mine. It's not like God. Now, here's what's scary Peter and those guys were with Jesus almost 24-7. And they still were missing the mindset of God. Now, here's the problem in this room today. Here's one thing that's keeping some of you from becoming Christians. Here's what's keeping many of us as Christians from going to that next step and that next level with God. Because this message is not only about evangelism or entry, it's about discipleship. We aren't thinking like God thinks. We live by our opinions, our ways, our thoughts, what Grandmama taught us, whether we work through it or not. And that's how we do life. Years ago, I was, I was talking to a lady who was cleaning our church in Texas. Very nice lady. And I was trying to talk to her about becoming a Christian. She was about my age. We were both about 30 at the time. 
And, she, and we talked. We had a very good conversation. Then when we were finished, you know, I told her what the Bible said about heaven, about hell, about Jesus being the only way. And she looked at me. She was very polite and very nice. She said, Chris, that's all fine, but I have my opinions and my views and my thoughts about heaven, hell, salvation, and God. The Bible's fine, but I have my views. See, that's what our problem is, many of us. And you can't be a real follower. I mean, you can't, be, you can't be truly, effectively following Christ if you are doing it on your terms and your agenda and on your mindset. And again, it scares me to think that Peter was with Jesus all the time and he was missing it. Now, praise God, on a rainy day when the clock has flipped forward, you were in church. That's awesome. I, I, seriously, that is it's great. And, you know, we need to be in church, and we need to be in our Bibles, and we need to be in Bible study classes, and we need to pray because the only way you can get the mindset of God is to constantly be taking in the things of God. How do you you please Christ? How do you live as a true follower? Number one, you've got to have his mindset. Here's the second thing. You've got to follow him with your life. You see, it doesn't just stop. It never just stops with God with what you think. It never stops with just your theology, your belief system. It always has to translate to your feet. It begins with a mindset. It begins when you say, I'm going to do life God's way. Pretty radical. Now, let's see what God's way is. And believe you me, it is pretty radical. Now, before we dive into it, I want to say again, if you're not a Christian... What we're going to see today is how a person comes to Christ. That you come to Christ by faith in Him, but these things are part of the steps of faith in Christ. If you are a Christian, this is the call of discipleship. I say this a lot. You only have to be saved one time, but you make a daily choice to really follow Christ. Luke 9.23 is a sister passage of this, this scriptures we're reading. It adds a little word in here that's significant. It says... If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. You see that little word? Daily. In other words, this is a daily choice. Folks, this morning in this room, you may have been a Christian for 30 years. I'm going to challenge you to make a choice to take your Christianity to the next level. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, I want to challenge you to take your Christianity to another level. It's a daily choice is what God says. What are the choices he tells us? We get the mindset, what, is the, what, what are we supposed to do with our life? Number one, he says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. That's ugly, isn't it? Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, if anyone, anyone would include you and includes me, if anyone would come after me, he must deny Himself. The word deny there in your Bibles literally means to remove yourself or to refuse yourself. Folks, later on in the Gospels, it tells the story of Peter denying Jesus. And when Peter denied Jesus, remember he denied him three times. And when he denied Jesus, here's what he said over and over and over. I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is. To deny yourself is radical. It is, it is to put yourself completely out of the picture. Now, folks, this is not self-hatred 
Are it's not some kind of weird asceticism that says you can't watch TV or ever drink a Coke again. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that may be a lot more painful for that. Here's what he's saying. And folks, let me pause and say, this is not what I'm saying. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying to deny yourself is to reorient yourself so much that you get yourself out of the center and you put God as the center. If you are a Christian today, at some point in your life, you didn't understand everything you were doing. I was 19. I didn't understand what I was doing. But you understood to some degree you were putting yourself out of the way and God first. Now, folks, let me tell you, the biggest problem in our churches, in our world today, in Christianity, is this right here. This was listed first for a reason. Before take up the cross or anything else, this was first. Because meology is in the way of your theology. Theology is a combination of two words, theos, God, and ology, which simply means study of. Theology is the study of God and the things of God. And what's interfering with your theology and my theology and our living for Christ more than anything else is not a bad husband, a bad wife, a bad worship leader, a bad pastor. You may have all those things. But the thing that's interfering with it more than anything else is meology. What Jesus is saying here, if you're serious about following me, I want you to reorient your life so radically that you are disappearing more and more and I am appearing more and more in your life. Folks, here's here's how we are. And I say we because it's not you, it's me, it's all of us. Even Christians. We base so much of what we do, even for God, based on how it fits us. I will come to church if it fits my schedule. You're called and asked to serve somewhere in the church. I will serve if it fits my schedule. You need to give your money. That's what God says. I'll give if I can, if I like the ministers, if I like what the church is doing, if it fits me, 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 me. And here's what God's saying. If you're going to really follow me, there needs to be a funeral to self And Christ needs to be the one lifted up in your life. How many of you are slightly uncomfortable at this point? It just gets worse, I promise you, in a moment. (laughs) Here's the next thing he says. Take up your cross. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Verse 34. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Now, folks, I want to tell you, this is a very misunderstood concept. When I first started pastoring, I didn't know what it meant. Nobody in my church knew what it meant, but we knew how you, you used it. You know, somebody would walk in, oh, my back, you know, and I'd say, what's wrong with your back? Oh, it's my cross. I got arthritis. I had back for 40 years, 40 years. There'd be some lady sitting by herself. I'd say, where's her husband? Oh, he's, he never comes to church Been married 40 years. He's sorry. He never comes. He just stays home and drinks and plays checkers. But that's her cross to bear. That's her cross to bear. Folks, if you've got physical problems or a bad spouse, I I feel for you. I really do. But that ain't your cross. When Jesus said to take up your cross, 
He was not talking about a physical problem or a bad decision. He was talking about following him, even if it meant you're going to die. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus sat and he talked to these men and these women and Caesarea Philippi, and he said, take up your cross, they knew instantly what he was talking about. Because, you see, they lived in a military state. They lived in a state where the Roman soldiers were everywhere. Undoubtedly, any adult had probably seen a Roman soldier come into their village and go to a house and open the door and pull out somebody, probably not very willing. Then they would see that neighbor or that cousin or that family member or friend carrying either the the, the crossbar or maybe the whole cross out of the village. And they knew when they saw someone dragging a cross, they weren't carrying it to the Easter pageant. They weren't doing something that would look cool for a commercial. They were carrying it to the place that they were going to die. Jesus was a little boy. Well, not a little. He was probably 11 or 12. There was a revolt in his area of Nazareth. It was led by a guy named Judas the Galilean, not Judas Iscariot. Judas the Galilean. And Judas the Galilean rallied thousands of people around him. And the Roman government came in there and they shut it down real quickly. And they arrested a bunch of people. And listen, they crucified 2,000 people along the roads outside of Nazareth. 2,000 people. Jesus saw that. These folks knew. Folks, listen, when they heard, take up your cross... That would be the equivalent of us hearing, take up the electric chair. Take up the lethal injection gunny. Here's a rifle and here's some bullets. You carry it and then the firing squad is going to kill you with that rifle and those bullets when we get to the spot. It meant you could die. And the people hearing it 2,000 years ago, here's the truth. They understood and they were going to understand in about two or three years that if they decided to follow Jesus, it very well mean that they were going to die. Calvin Miller was a great preacher and a writer. He's dead now. Probably 10 years ago, he had a conversation with a medical doctor who, who had lived for years in a Muslim country serving in the, the mountainside treating people that there's no medical help available to them. In his years there, he had led people to become Christians. And here's what he said to Calvin Miller. He said, Calvin, several times I've led someone to Christ, and a week or two later, they were murdered. They were murdered because their family said, if you're going to reject Islam, we are going to kill you. And Calvin Miller said back to this medical doctor, he goes, man, then you almost wonder what's the point of leading them to Christ. And and the medical doctor got a little bit upset and he goes, the point, the point Jesus said, Calvin, was that if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross. You see, in America, we have been, and this is good, we are so protected that by coming to church this morning and saying you're going to follow Christ, and you go to work or school and you say you're going to follow Christ, yeah, you might get made fun of. People may laugh at you or not invite you to the parties or whatever. And some of us are so weak, even as adults, we won't stand up for Christ because we'd rather fit in 
than follow. So we don't even know what it's like. And Jesus throws this out to us today, and he goes, you know what? Maybe, maybe you'd paraphrase like this in America. If you're going to take up your cross and follow me, you might get made fun of a little bit. You might not fit in with everybody. You might not get asked to all the parties or get the, the great raises. But by the way, if you're serious about following me, this is part of the gig. Pretty stout, isn't it? You say, preacher, I don't like that. Well, you take it up with Jesus someday. I'm plagiarizing. Real followers deny themselves. Hopefully we'll never experience in, this, in, in our country. But it's a commitment to Christ that says, even if it costs me my life, I'll follow him. And the last thing that brings it all together, he says, you follow me proudly. You follow me proudly. Proudly. In verse 34 through 38, he called the crowd and the disciples. You're going to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but yet forfeit his soul and go to hell? Verse 37, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus said, follow me. And this all fits together like a glove on a hand. And I take up the cross and follow. The word follow there. It means to accompany someone. It means to move in the same direction. But to give you a a more vivid picture, it means to obey him. It means to obey him. If Jesus was in this room this morning physically, and he said, if you're going to follow me, let's go out that back door, it'd be easy to know what to do, wouldn't it? But to make it real clear, he's just saying, you're going to obey me if you're going to follow me. And we won't look at it again on the screen. Remember what Luke 9, 23 said? Deny, take up the cross, and follow me daily. Jesus throws out some weird paradoxes here. He says, if you really want to live on this life and this earth, and you really want to go to heaven someday, here's how you do it. You give up your life. You give up your rights. You be willing to die for me. And when you're willing to give up the rights to your dreams, to your goals, to your agendas, and you're willing to follow me even if that costs you your very life, that's when you're going to find joy and happiness and peace and heaven. And the flip side of that, you can hang on to your agendas, hang on to your meanness, hang on to your ways, hang on to your religion. You can hang on to all that. And then you can maybe someday die and go to hell and live on this earth unfulfilled and unsatisfied. Wow. Kind of a flip, isn't it? Deny self, be willing to die, find life, find heaven. 
just the opposite of everything you've been told. Rod Harrison is the chaplain for the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl this year. He's a pastor also in the Baltimore area, and I read an article he had written this week, and he said in the article he loves working with the football players. But he said when you're working with great professional athletes, he said they can be difficult. <laughs> he said, you know, they're, they're very talented. They're, they're very gifted. Uh, many of them are very wealthy. But he said on the Ravens, a lot of them, they, they have a strong core of good Christian people. But he said with these guys, occasionally I have to stop them. And some of them are six foot five, 300 pounds. Not only are they huge, but they can catch you if you run from them. That's terrible, isn't it? I mean, if someone's really big, you ought to be able to make fun of them and run, Correct. But he said, at times I have to sit them down so I can look at them face to face. And I have to tell them, if you're going to be serious about following God, you can't be sleeping around with eight women on the side. You can't be hoarding money. You can't be talking one way uh, on the field and then getting off the field and saying, praise God, and God gets all the glory. If you're going to be serious about Christ, you've got to do it his way. You've got to get his mindset. You've got to deny yourself and be willing to die for him. And he said, with most of them, that translates. Does it with you? I want to do a little visual with you this morning. And while I'm doing this, I want to encourage you, just go ahead and get, get, a, get a pen and a piece of paper. And this, you could just tear off a little piece of paper. Play along with me. Play along. I'm not asking you to write a check. Don't panic. Just get, get something, and you're not going to put your name on this, okay? Just get a little piece of paper and a pen. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to write something down. I'm going to ask you to write something down that's in the way of you and Jesus. We got a little chest here, and we got, it, we got the chest in front of the cross, kind of symbolic. But I want to kind of walk you through some things that I'm going to bet many of us need to take and put at the feet of Jesus this morning. I'm going to start with a picture of me and a Rottweiler. <laughs> it's a few years old. You can tell by the lack of the number of chins and uh, the uh, more hair. Everybody in this room, to some degree, needs to take yourself and put it at the foot of the cross. You know, the second most important thing after God should be people, and the, the priority list of people ought to be your family. I got a picture. I don't have all of my family here, but <clears throat> I got my, my daughters and my wife and a couple of my grandkids. Hope other ones aren't watching on the internet and so they'll know who was not on there. You know the idol in some of your lives, it's your family. You worship your family above Jesus Christ. How do I know that? You don't bow down at their feet, but that you're just going to put your family above God. And that's wrong. Probably the second thing you need to lay at the feet of the cross today, the foot of the cross, is your family. Now let's get real personal. 
What about, what about your hobbies? Hunting, fishing. This is a big burly youth minister's camouflage jacket. You know, I love to hunt, love to fish. Hadn't done much of it in a long time, but I, I grew up doing it. Good stuff. Shouldn't be before God, should it? I grew up, and my dad would not let us hunt our fish on Sunday. I mean, we couldn't. From two to three, we couldn't. I thought that was a little wrong. But I don't think it ought to keep you out of church. Some of you couldn't hit anything with a shotgun, but you like this, don't you? I think you're crazy if you like golf, but <laughs> nothing wrong with golf unless it's keeping you away from Jesus. You don't have to get rid of it, but you may sure need to reprioritize it. Let's get real personal. I love sports, man, I love sports. Goodness. Men, I've never had one of these in my hand, I can promise you. You know, travel sports today is about becoming idle, hasn't it? Shouldn't have said that, but that's true. If you're a professional and you got to play on Sundays, you're a college athlete, you got to play on Sundays, you got to, but... Gave us six days to work, didn't he? To play. Oh, some of you thought you were getting away. You don't like your family. You don't have any hobbies. But you love money, don't you? Money's a great thing. But some of you are worshiping it. You won't give to the church because you're hoarding it. You won't give to your kids or to other good things. Friends, I've done 200 funerals in my life, and I've never seen money in the coffin. And I promise you, if you get buried with cash, your kids will come dig it up later. <laughs> Got to have money to live, but it needs to be way after God. What about this one? We could put other things there too, but... In the first service, they were like, we don't have a problem with that. Well, <laughs> we're going to do, we're going to do in the fall or next spring, we're going to do a series on Sunday mornings on sex. Because I think church has been way too quiet on it. Here's what God said, husband, wife, man, woman, in marriage. Pornography, fornication, and here's the last one. There could be 50 more, but this is just work. We could have got a hammer. We could have got other things, especially us men. You know, work becomes our source of identity, doesn't it? And, you know, as a pastor, believe it or not, I can get lost in my work and I lose God happens to pastors all the time and your work is important and you ought to work hard and you ought to be honest and you ought to you ought to do right at work see whatever whatever you do is your mission field but work's not more important than God and some of you are sacrificing your family and your faith 
at the altar of work. And I want to tell you, when you're 90 years old in the nursing home, nobody's going to care what you did at work much. Unless you were doing it for other people in Jesus. Did you write some things down? Luke 12, 8. Luke 12, 8. Coming on the screen. Says, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. That's the positive of the negative we saw a moment ago. Jesus said, if you're proud of me, I'll be proud of you. Just a second. We're going to stand. We're just going to ask you to bow your heads. Justin's going to sing. I want to throw down the gauntlet for you to respond to Christ. Here's some challenges. First of all, if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to come and give your life to Christ today. From the balcony, from the floor, wherever you are. There'll be ministers down here. We can help you. You come and give your life to Christ. Maybe you'd like to join the church this morning. One way you can do it is ease out, come. There'll be a minister down here. We'll help you join the church. Now, Christian, y'all look at me. Christian, I'm going to challenge you today to radically reorient your life. Maybe it's just where you're standing. Maybe you need to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you need to bring your wife or you meet your kids and come and pray. Maybe you want to come and pray with a minister. Here's something else we're going to do. We're going to have this box on the floor in just a second. Maybe you want to come by and take what you wrote and put it in that box as a symbolic way of saying this has been in the way of Jesus and I. But with the help of God, it's not going to be anymore. I want to ask you to stand. Just bow your heads. But you move your feet forward if God's leading you to do that. This box will be down here. Ministers will be down here.